Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay, and I survived Endgame. <laughs> uh, and and another week of uh, the internet reacting to Winterfell. Uh, that's man. I my favorite thing right now is watching whether the internet really loved or really hated the last Game of Thrones episode. I will say this, Jay. It's nice to have people mad about something other than politics. <laughs> is that a Starbucks coffee or a hot tea? <laughs> I love that man. I that that image in particular is going to be one that I think gets memed for forever. But hey, as, that's as a, content creators, though, Joel, that's like, a good. Is, I was going to say, let's let's point that out, Jay. Yes, this, this has happened to us, I'm sure, numerous times. I know it's happened to me, especially when I was at ESPN and I was producing six podcasts a day, and I'm I'm in the flurry, and I'm just. You know, if if there was a meme of how I work, you, it would be that guy, and he's just, you know, he's just it's a muppet, and he's just shredding paper, and there's things flying all over the place, and then, you know, I would send a podcast out, and then every now and then there'd be that tweet, "Hey, uh, Pod Vader, you missed an edit in there," and I'd be like, "Whoo, thank goodness it's not one of those edits," but it happens to all of us. The worst part is, of course, when you're Game of Thrones and you're making cabillions of dollars and you've spent two years for this episode to finally show its face. And you're telling me in two years, no one noticed a coffee cup on the table? Come I mean, on. That's, that's the coffee cup is so like, lady, <laughs> you you have dragons and dire wolves in this show. I know you could paint out that coffee cup. Nobody noticed it. You the the two years thing. That's the thing that gets me. There's two years of production, and, and I know not all of that has been in post production, but s- still, these things have been watched by dozens and dozens of people. You would imagine, uh, but it is it's heartening to me. You're right, Jay. As a creator, it's heartening that even a crew that large with that much money behind them, uh, with that much time to produce uh, the finished product, still they can have a mistake. And I, I haven't. Uh, we're going to talk about Endgame at the very end of this episode of Avengers Endgame. We've both seen it now. Uh, we'll we'll save that so you don't um, get spoiled and you don't. There was, have to a, skip there was the a mistake in that movie too. Was there? That's what I was going to say. So I haven't noticed any. I haven't heard any any mistakes. But yeah, Matthew was, Barry was in it. The guy I used to work with at ESPN. Was he really? <laughs> yes, he was. What did he, did he have? A where was his cameo? Uh, uh, we'll talk about that in yeah, spoilers. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. A little tease for you. If you've seen Avengers Endgame, wait for that. You'll hear where uh, TMR, uh, Matthew Berry, was in the uh, the Avengers Endgame. That's awesome. I'm, I'm kind of excited for him. Good. Uh, you're right. That was a terrible mistake, putting him in the movie. Uh, the only man in Hollywood with a bigger ego than Robert Downey Jr. I wonder, <laughs> if, I wonder if it was in exchange for a spot in the man's league. That's the only <laughs> thing I'm really curious about. Hemsworth is a huge fantasy football fan, huh? Um, All right, we've got a lot to get to, Jay. Uh, We've got a lot of news, and as a matter of fact, we're going to end up cutting a few stories off here. So let's get right into it. Uh, First of all, our our friends, (laughs) I don't know that I'd say that, Uh, the folks at Luminary, (laughs) let's say that, Uh, they heard us. You know, and look, we want to give credit where credit is due. They did hear the response, and they didn't blindly forge ahead with what they were doing. They have made some pivots. Well, some of them, I don't know that I'd call it a pivot. They have made some jukes. (laughs) How about that? They have juked a bit uh, in response to our outcry. So the first thing 
in, and by the way, this will be linked in the show notes, of course, as always. Uh, updates to Luminary. This comes from Joe Przicki. I'm assuming that's their CEO. Is that yeah. who, who? What is his uh, position? I don't quite recall 100%. I believe he's either the CEO or the CTO. We can. Yeah. Can uh, he's one of the big wigs. Uh, he says, over the past week, we've heard feedback from the podcasting community about how we can improve Luminary, including the way we access RSS feeds and display data. Specifically, our approach for us accessing and playing audio feeds was creating confusion, and our show and episode notes were missing information, including links. Luminary has never hosted or cached content for any open public RSS feed podcast. We used a pass-through approach to enhance speed and performance, but after hearing from the podcast community, we worked with hosting providers to develop and implement a solution that makes it clear we are not caching or hosting and provides creators with the data to which they are accustomed. We implemented that solution on April 25th, two days after our launch. So that's pretty fast. And I haven't seen anyone... Uh, that knows the code and that can really dive into things refute that. As a matter of fact, I've seen a couple of people that I trust suggest that this is true. From what they're seeing, they did exactly what they were asked. And while they're still using a weird linking system, it's not just going straight through. It does, in fact, show up as coming from our servers. We do, in fact, get the data now on your standard media host. They're not caching the content, which is what was happening. They can call it what they want to, but that's what was in effect happening originally. He's their chief strategy officer. That's ah, his perfect. official title. Um, yeah, I mean, Seth, Seth wrestler who works with uh, Jacobs media also wrote a blog post about how radio can learn from the mistakes that luminary made. And Seth uses language that, I would say is political in nature to sort of tiptoe around the, uh, around the idea that, you know, luminary came out and they thought they could do everything better than you. That was, that was sort of the attitude that they had. And now Joe here has written a very nice response to what has occurred and has, has been a little contrite. And I would say perhaps apologized, although I'm not a hundred percent sure there's a real apology in this. Ultimately, I think it's going to be, I think it's too little too late. The The big podcasts that have taken their shows off of the platform aren't going to come back. And if they do, it's going to require quite a bit of a conversation with the folks at Luminary. And most likely it's going to involve capital in exchange. So that ship has sailed for them. They now, if they want to become the true Netflix of podcasting, and I think whether it's fair or unfair, the media put that title on Luminary. I don't think Luminary came out and said, we're going to be the podcast of Netflix or the Netflix of podcasting. It'd be funny if they did say they're going to be the podcast of Netflix. But <laughs> they, I think that that was more of a media-driven thing. Now, they also embraced it. They ran with it. Um. But if you're going to come out and say that, then you have to learn what this space is about. And I think Seth put it very well in one of his writings, and we talked about it last week. This is this is a medium that is built on community and inclusion, and we want transparency, and we want to work together 
to bring this space to the next level. We don't want to be competing with each other. We don't want to come in with a giant ego thinking that we're going to be able to do it better than you ever did. We don't want to come in thinking that, hey, nobody's ever done this before. We're the first when it's been done before. We don't want to come in and say, hey, we're going to do something that's never been done before when it was done before and failed. Like, it's just know what know what this space is about, learn about it. And if you don't know, there are plenty of people in this space that are more than willing to work with you to tell you what this space is about and work with them instead of coming out, failing very publicly, and then just being lambasted by pretty much everyone in the industry. I'm sure there were people that saw the opportunity that reached out to them and said, hey, we can help you make this right. But a majority of people basically just said, dude, you came in here with an attitude and now you're going to go home and sit in the corner and good luck. You know, I think you're exactly right. This is a very welcoming space. Uh, We love when folks with lots of money show up and are interested. (laughs) We just ask that they come in not pretending to be experts just because they have a lot of money, (laughs) right? Just just because you got a fat checkbook doesn't make you an expert in this field. This is a good start. I think uh, Margo Arment had a good take on it on Accidental Tech Podcast. They talked about Luminary again this past week, and he says – he is not worried about them. They've they've been neutered by the response that the podcast community has made and that while they might survive as a business, there is no concern for us as independent producers anymore that they would ever get to a dominant position. That's clear from the way that they re- they've responded and the way that the community responded. And I agree with him. Uh, and here's the other thing. In short, for me personally, the changes that they made are enough that now it's not worth it to me to jump through their hoops to get my shows removed. (laughs) Like I was, they they make it very complicated. You have to fill in a lot of information to opt out and I hadn't gotten around to it. Well, the big thing that I had a problem with even more so than the caching, honestly, because Spotify cached at first too. You and I talked about this off the air. I don't think we've actually talked about it on the air. Uh, Now, Uh, maybe we did talk about it on the last episode. Spreaker has made a deal with Spotify that their monetization platform, their dynamic ad insertion will work on Spotify, which means that those plays are going straight through from your RSS feed in one way or another. They they can't be cached if they're also working with the dynamic ad insertion. And that means to me, and you and I agreed, uh, that will roll out across the media hosts for Spotify. Eventually, Spotify will have a deal like that with Libsyn and Blueberry and whoever else, right? Okay, so that's awesome. Spotify is now in part of the open podcasting space too. But even when they weren't, I didn't have a big problem with them because that was an opt-in experience and they showed all of the show notes. They're still badly formatted on Spotify, but all of the show notes were there. There were links out to your website. That Luminary was limiting those specific things, and for me, that's a that's a deal killer. If you if I if people can't find me outside your app, then I'm not interested in being in your app. But they've now fixed that. So bully bully to Luminary, and uh, if you're like one of the three people listening to us in Luminary's app, I guess then continue. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, if Luminary does ultimately fail, I don't necessarily believe that means that a Netflix of podcasting cannot coexist in this space. I just think that it was the way that 
the way that Luminary came into the space that has ultimately doomed that particular company. Well, you pointed it out, Jay. It, it already is existing. Uh, Midroll's got one with Stitcher. Sure. Audible is doing it to supplement their audiobook subscriptions and to keep people in their ecosystem. You know, there, there are lots of people that are doing that premium audio model. They're just not coming in and saying that, hey, we're so great that the, all that free podcasting you can get is nonsense. Stop it and only come listen to our premium shows, which is sort of what Luminary was saying. No, well, no thank well, you. Well, Joel, what if, I could, what if I told you that there's now technology that exists that allows you to have that premium model in the open podcasting space? What's that you say? Yes. <laughs> Tell uh, me more. In this past week, Acast announced that they now have technology that will allow for premium podcasts to be distributed. This is paywalled audio content that will be distributed via RSS feeds so that people can listen to this on whatever particular app they so desire. Now, when this was announced, I'm very surprised this hasn't gotten more traction. I saw this article, uh, I mean, this particular announcement from ACAST was covered by many people. Pod News, James Cridlin, who who is the editor there, uh, also noted that uh, some listeners saw this and said, hey, there's another company that does this, and they launched in February called Supporting Cast, uh, which basically does the same thing. Supporting Cast is from the Slate group, uh, just to... Uh, to be clear there, but they clearly didn't get the same press that ACAST got. I don't understand. This is when we talk about, we want this space to be uh, inclusive and we want to support people and all of that. I don't understand why when some companies make an announcement, it goes so unnoticed and brushed off. This to me sounds like a game changer. This to me, Joel sounds like something that you and I, can do. I don't know what the cost of this particular technology is for podcasters, but we've talked about how lar especially larger companies want to own as much of their stuff as possible. Share any sort of revenue with any with anybody else. They want to keep as much money as they possibly can. This technology would allow them to do exactly that. They don't have to go and sign up for a deal with Luminary or a deal with Stitcher, a place where there's that Netflix of podcasting, because now they have the technology to create that Netflix on their own platform, which is ultimately what everybody's doing right now, right? Disney Plus, um, you know, uh, all those all those places. Like that, everybody's creating their own thing anyway. This technology allows it, and quite honestly, like I said, to the ability to have premium content on whatever app you listen to—that's. That's to me what the real game changer is. So that's the difference to me. And like the the thing that the thing that Luminary wants to do, the reason why they want all of our content to begin with, is they don't want the potential subscribers to their premium content to ever leave their app. That's the beauty of Netflix, right? Like Netflix, YouTube does this as well. When you finish watching a Netflix video, they immediately suggest the next Netflix video, right? When you finish a YouTube video, there are two or three suggestions there. Would you like this one or that one or this one? We're going to play this one automatically if you don't click a button. If you don't click a button in five seconds, we're going to play this one. We're going to play it now, okay? Here we go. We're playing it. And they're, you know, they move on to the next content. Um, that's what Luminary wants to do. 
And the only way they can do that is if they have all of your shows in their app, not just their premium shows. So that's the loss for them when shows like, you know, This American Life or um, uh, Relay This uh, remove themselves. That's that's what hurts for them. Those are big shows that matter. The Daily. It's a huge show that matters for a lot of people. So any of those users, I'm, I'm watching this myself, okay? So on, on video... Apple now has, and I'm using this, the a beta version of this app on both my iPad and my iPhone, they have the new TV app, which suggests stuff across all of the viewing service uh, services that you have. So like it shows me the next episode of my Hulu show right next to the next episode of my HBO show right next to the episode of, you know, American gods from stars. And it also suggests, Hey, here's some live sports content that you like because your teams are playing, et cetera, et cetera. I've got all this stuff in one interface. And if I click it, it just starts playing right away. And I don't really care what app it comes from. That's awesome for Apple. Apple's arranged that idea with all of those content providers. You know who's not in that interface? Netflix. And it's specifically because Netflix doesn't want you, when you finish House of Cards, they don't want to suggest a Hulu show to you. They don't want to suggest an Amazon Prime show to you. They want to suggest a Netflix show. This, if this is work, first of all, I'll caution. Uh, read the article if you're interested in this technology, by the way. It's linked in the show notes. But the last paragraph, this is a beta release and the Financial Times has a testing launch partner. Uh, that's the first line there. So you and I probably, first of all, can't access this today anyway at any dollar amount. Uh, whether we can access it in a month or two or a few months, six months or whatever, that's the question. The other thing is, since it's only in beta, who knows how completely effective it is? Is there an issue? What are the issues? How often do bugs arise, et cetera, et cetera? But I can't imagine that it's not pretty far along or they wouldn't have announced it in this way. You know what I mean? They wouldn't have, it would have been something that they have done on the down low if, if it wasn't pretty close to ready. Uh, and to they wouldn't have announced a large partner like the Exactly. That's Times. what I'm saying. Not the, the two of them wouldn't have put their name on it publicly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So um, this is super exciting. And what this would allow, and right now you can do this now, by the way, sort of through Patreon, for instance. You can go to Patreon, subscribe to a show there. You can get an RSS feed from your Patreon account and and then plug that into Overcast, for instance. So, okay, Trivial Warfare. I like the free episodes of Trivial Warfare, but I also want the premium episodes of Trivial Warfare. So I get my Patreon uh, premium feed and I get my regular feed and both of those are subscribed to and I get two little things going in overcast and I just put them both in a playlist and that works. But the other thing is, Jay, that is <clears throat> security by obscurity is what they call that, right? Those That RSS feed, if I wanted to and if I was that kind of guy, I could copy it and send it to you. You could listen to those premium content to that premium content too, even though you don't pay for it. This implies that you're actually, a, it's an API. So like there's some sort of ongoing approval that is that is conducted. Um, I mean, that would be huge if in Overcast or Castro or Pocket Casts or the Apple Podcasts app or any good open, you know, podcasting app you could subscribe to. And then, and the other thing is, this implies that you could upgrade, right? I can subscribe to the RSS feed for free. And then as I listen to it and you keep telling me, hey, if you if you pay for it, you can get more content right here. Once I pay for it, I get those extra episodes without having to do anything else, right? That's what it sounds like. Joel, I'm going to... 
I'm going to share a little bit of ditty that I share with a lot of podcasters that I've spoken to over the years. And, uh, while luminary came in and talked about, you know, podcasts don't have to have ads. The truth of the matter is there's a lot of podcasters who don't want ads in their show. The dirty secret is the best way to make money. The easiest way I should say to make money from podcasts is with ads. Now, how does a podcaster that doesn't want ads approach that? How do they, as we've talked about numerous times, you know, maximize that revenue river? Well, my friend, this is the answer. You create a free RSS feed that is, that has ads. It's ad supported. And you simply tell your audience, if you don't like ads, like me, I'm not a big fan of ads either, but they're helping me, you know, continue to create great content for you. You can go to this particular RSS feed, which is ad-free for a fee. And that will continue to help support me support creating more content for you. This is the way you diversify your revenue. This is the way that you maximize your revenue river. You have an ad stream and then you have an ad-free stream and it's pretty easy to do. This technology would make it even easier because I've I've heard from the Patreon people that do this uh, that it's not exactly the greatest or easiest listening experience. This sounds like that solves a lot of that problem. Uh, I hope this gets more traction. I hope more people look at this and embrace this. If Acast has it and Slate has it, I'm wondering if this is open concept technology, which means ultimately everyone's going to have it. And I can tell you right now, once the hosting platforms get it, Acast is a hosting platform now, uh, they're all going to charge a fee for it. They're, they're all going to create it and they'll have it. You know, Libsyn will have it. Blueberry will have it. Spreaker will have it. And they'll charge an extra fee for you to get access to it. Uh, well, I am telling you, I am signing up for their beta even as we speak. Uh, it turns out if you uh, go to their website, it is right there. And uh, if you give them their info, uh, they say that they will be in contact shortly. So we'll see how that works out. I might, uh, if I'm not barred from talking about it, I uh, will try to tell you how that goes next week. Um, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, specifically, specifically for a show like this, you know, you, you could imagine that a lot of people like the show, they don't want, uh, to hear the ads. They consider it, you know, industry, uh, info that they, you know, they're getting it for their business and it would be well worth, you know, whatever, uh, a few bucks a month or something, a, a dollar per show or whatever it is to make it, uh, happen for them without advertising. I can absolutely see that happening. There's um, two of us though. They got to give two bucks a show. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's a, but that's the kind of thing that, uh, for, again, for a show specifically like this, you can imagine that being incredibly useful for both the creators and the audience. Uh, likewise, we've talked so much about like these pop culture shows, people that are doing a show about game of Thrones. Okay. Hey, not only do you want our reaction episodes, which are going to be free for everybody, but how about we do a commentary episode at the end of the week after we've had some time to really think about it, we sit down, watch the episode again, and we live record a commentary for it. And only our patrons get that in the premium feed. If you throw us, you know, again, an extra two bucks an episode or something. So the, like, there's lots of ways to do something like that without, uh, yeah, man, I'm, this is exciting, Jay. 
And the argument from those types of shows is that it's a conversation. I don't want to break up my conversation with an interruption because let's face it, while the ad is important and we try our best to integrate the ad into the content to make it feel as much of the part of the content as possible, it's an interruption. And if you want to present an interruption-free device, this sounds like this is a perfect opportunity for that. It really is. It really is. Uh, all right. The, the link is in the show notes. Go and read that uh, full article if that technology sounds interesting to you. Is there any? Was there anything different about uh, the the Slatecast's uh, version of this, the Slate Group's version of this that you saw? Not that I could see. Basically, it was essentially the same technology. Uh, they just released theirs uh, earlier. They released theirs in February, and Acast released theirs at the end of April. So, is it possible that this is literally a partnership behind the scenes, and they're not announcing it, but it's no. like a same technology that both companies work together on, or something? No. So you think I this doubt is either it. I think open I, technology either, or just yeah, congruent this, development? This is either congruent development, or I I think most likely because I've seen this happen with many of things is it's open it's open source technology that that the companies both just worked on at the same time because uh, it's happened with did you know, dynamic ad insertion most dynamic ad insertion out there is open source technology that different companies have implemented in different ways so uh, that's the reason why all of them have created their own little fiefdoms uh, with dynamic ad insertion because it was open source technology that anyone could jump in. Uh, same thing is going on right now in the um, uh, the uh, you know what we're doing right now. We're talking on Skype, uh, the VoIP community. There we go. Uh, a lot of that technology is open source, uh, and people are building off of that open source technology to present a different experience. Uh, depending on you know what bells and whistles they're putting around that open source technology to make voice over IP uh, work best for whatever um, their business concerns are. So uh, there's a lot of this going on in the tech space that happens all the time. Like I said, if Slate and Acast now both have that technology and it is open source, it will only be a matter of time before everybody else starts implementing it. I uh, I strongly agree. And the fact that, oh, and I will just add, and the fact that nobody's been talking about it makes me believe that they're either working on it themselves already, uh, so they're getting ready to announce their uh, version of this, uh, or it's because, again... They're not, they don't, they don't want to admit that their competitor now has a game-changing tool uh, on their platform. Uh, yeah, I think either one of those are absolutely possible. Um, Jay, you got an interesting note here. Let's move to uh, the James Cridlin stuff. Um, James Cridlin, of course, behind Pod News, but this didn't come from Pod News, did it? No, he has a weekly newsletter um, where he's the radio futurologist. It's it's mostly geared towards radio, international radio, too, by the way. Uh, but he mentions podcast stuff in that newsletter all the time. And at the end of his newsletter, he talked about how he had a problem with his MacBook Pro, and he moved a lot of his production to a Chromebook. And I wanted to hand it off to you as the expert in production. I mean, I do production, but I, I would not call myself a tech expert in the least bit. But I know you specifically because I know you do a lot of editing specifically on iPads and 
exclusively on iPads and things of that nature, you have more of a tech background. This would seem like it would be very interesting to you. So up until basically the last year or so, unless you like cracked it open software wise and booted something, um, you know, non-standard, a Chromebook basically was a web only device. Chrome OS is inherently sort of like web first, uh, even more, even in a way that Android and iOS are not Android and iOS are both mobile operating systems, but they use local file storage and, and most of the apps sort of assume the data that they're dealing with will be locally stored at least while you're actually acting on it. Chrome just isn't like that. It really is like a different environment. And because of that, there were these very minimal editing tools, things like Alphonic had a, um, a, a web front end that you could use to trim some audio, I think, uh, pre previously, if you were using an online Alphonic account, but you couldn't, it, there was no DAW that worked. There was no digital audio workstation that worked on a Chromebook. Um, I was trying to find where I had seen this information from James because I don't subscribe to that separate newsletter, but I had seen him post somewhere and I couldn't find it. Uh, I'll look that up and see if I can't link directly to the public post if I can find one. But the, the basic thing that he said is this, um, instead of upgrading to that new MacBook Pro, he'd just been trying to use this Chromebook for everything. Uh, use the same keyboard and big screen in his office that he always does, because you can hook up to those things with a Chromebook just fine, and you have been even before the latest updates. Uh, but recently, he says with Chrome OS version 74, which just came out last week, it's got audio playback for Linux apps. Real Linux apps can now load into the storage of the computer and run even with audio playback. So what does that mean for us? There is a version of Audacity, which a lot of, you know, beginner podcasters, especially, and even a lot of hobbyists use, uh, and as well, Reaper. There is a version of Reaper that runs on Linux as well. So you can now load Reaper or Audacity onto your Chromebook and if you have, again, now James didn't buy the bottom of, we're not talking about the $199 Chromebook that you can get at Safeway, right? Okay. No. The, like that is not what you're going to want to run audio on. Those are super, super low power devices with super low storage generally. Uh, James said he paid uh, 640 I think that's Australian dollars. Yes. Uh, 640 Australian for his Chromebook. I'm assuming that's probably going to be in like the 499 range in the states 350 to 499 somewhere and uh that 70 cents to the dollar right 70 now. cents to the dollar okay so uh 70 cents australian to the american dollar right interesting uh no yeah, one okay. australian dollar equals 70 united states cents okay yeah that's what i thought okay so so yeah that puts it around that puts it around four or five hundred probably so um yeah, that's kind of middle of the road for the Chromebooks. The Chromebooks, actually, they're top-of-the-line models now. I think they call them Pixels, not even Chromebooks. But the top-of-the-line models can go all the way up to like $1,000. And since they can now run Linux apps, here's the other thing, Jay. That 
thousand dollar Chromebook, the thousand like the Pixel models are effectively like the iPad Pros that I've got, and I paid a lot more than a grand for. I don't mind telling you the the one I've got the twelve point nine inch, and it's the terabyte model. It is the top of the line iPad Pro. One of those high end Pixel uh, books now would be very, very compelling if you were a Reaper user or a an Audacity user and what you were looking for was a mobile editing experience. Um, particularly for podcasters, the other big thing that you gain when you move to these mobile devices, they don't have fans or they have much less fan usage internally than laptops do. Most People, period, use laptops, not desktops. And any podcaster should know when you put that thing under heavy use, if you're running Skype, for instance, which is a, a resource beast. I'm hearing the fans Chrome, in the background right now. Yeah, <laughs> I guarantee you. So now, and you probably have your room set up or you've moved your computer away a little bit or you know where to place your mic so that you don't get a ton of fan noise anyway. But... Boy, to think that I could use a device, no matter where I am, that's not going to add to my noise floor, that's compelling for audio people. And the fact that you can do that at such a cheaper dollar figure than you used to be able to just because Chrome wasn't really an option on the audio side. This is exciting. Here's what it really means to me, Jay. It makes me sort of fret because I'm like, realistically, what I should do is I should get a Chromebook <laughs> and I should learn how to use one of these audio editing apps, not for my own production, but like, so I can make a course on it so that I can teach it to my, my students or clients, because the fact of the matter is not everybody wants to drop $1,500 and up on an, on an iPad pro. Uh, no, but not the, you know, the whole reason why we wanted to move to the mobile devices in the beginning was so that we would make this technology available to everybody. Well, the iPad pro has sort of stratified that and it goes like above your average consumer. The standard iPad that comes in and it starts at like 300 bucks, that's a really good device these days, and it can do a ton of these things too. But I know that many people are more familiar with Chrome and Android and those conventions than they are with Apple. Many, many more people, uh, factors of people more, have Android devices than iOS, uh, you know, iPhones. So this is exciting. And what it what it should mean is, Jay, another explosion in uh, creatives, you know, people who maybe have toyed with Anchor on their phones or something, but now they'll have a device where they can use a real editing software and a real recording software and go, you know, maybe I'll take this seriously now. And maybe maybe I'll buckle down and do something for real. So I even though it's not for me today, um, and even though it sort of makes me stress because it's like a lot of work theoretically if I want to do something with it, um, I'm excited to hear it. And I'm not an Android fan personally. I'm not a Chrome fan, but but it is exciting for lots of reasons. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with doing editing using the Anchor devices or any of those other places that make the editing really easy. It's just that you can do a lot more and you can make your podcast sound a lot more professional using more professional software, more professional tools, the more that you keep going. I was just reading an article earlier about um, the guys who did the football show, uh, football being soccer, by the way. And uh, they left The Guardian to do their own company. And they, there was a comment in there about the difference between uh, a Blue Yeti mic plugged into your laptop is different than a fully operational professional recording studio. 
by the way, if you have the right people, you can still make that Yeti plugged into a Mac sound just like a professional recording studio. It drives me crazy when I get it. But anyway, finding the people that know how to do that will cost you money. So it's just a matter of understanding that you don't have to spend the money, but the more money you spend, the more professional your ultimate product will end up sounding. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And we keep talking about this, um, you know, stratification of the podcast industry and and maybe a move into, okay, we've got these premium casts and then we've got the hobbyists down here or, or the indie casts at the bottom of the, the, the pyramid or whatever. But I, I don't think the independent creator has to be hurt in that scenario. And these sorts of thoughts and, and putting this sort of time into your production or thinking into your production, how can, I, how can I maximize the audio that I can produce? It's not about breaking the bank. It's not about changing your lifestyle. It's just about what are the tools before me? What are the opportunities before me? And then best taking advantage of all of them. I'm taking a Hindenburg training course this week. I'm really excited because well, I've talked about this. But you see the opportunity there. You see the right. possibility. Okay, yeah, there is a there is a cost, a potential cost for like I'm going to lose some time on actually producing to learn this new thing. In the short term, I might be slower than I would be on my traditional DAW. But I see a future where I can do things that I can't do today. Like that's right. – yeah, man. Try and I mean, like those things for yourself. There's already things on Hindenburg that I, that saved me time. And I don't remember if I mentioned this on this podcast or not. Conversations get blurred, folks. But ultimately, I've been in this game, radio production, for over 25 years. I've used the same tools for most of those years. Hindenburg is great. It does a lot of great things, and I would love to use it. But because I'm not comfortable with the way that they've set up their editing system... It takes me longer to produce my show than I like. And we know time is money. And if I can learn how to use Hindenburg quicker, then a lot of the stuff that they do that I love that saves me time right off the bat without me having to do anything um, would really save me some time. Jay, let's do one. You want to do one more story and then get to our our um, discussion of Avengers? How yeah, because this is a Spotify. Yeah, this is a quick one. Um, this was something that came out from Triton. Triton releases their metrics, I think, on a monthly basis. Uh, recently, Spotify came off of their um, tracker. I don't 100% know what's going on there. Um, but based on the last time Spotify was involved in their tracker, uh, and this is streaming services uh, in the United States, uh, historical trend, average active sessions, in the United States, Monday through Sunday, 6 a.m. to to uh, 12 midnight. Uh, Spotify ranked number one as a, it, I, it looks like September 2018, but I think it's actually later than that, uh, was number one with over two and a half million active sessions on a daily basis. So just two and a half million active sessions on a daily basis. Uh, Pandora was number two with less than 2 million active sessions. Uh, and their graph is actually falling. Uh, next was iHeartRadio with what appears to be a little bit more than 250,000. All right, so that's third place. So basically, uh, and, their, and their graph looks to be fairly flat. Uh, but just wanted to point out that 
With the half million, Spotify has half a million more daily active sessions than Pandora, which is in second and dropping. iHeartRadio is third. Radio.com, Cumulus, and NPR all appear tied because it's tough to tell based on the graph for last on the chart. If you combine the bottom four, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, Cumulus, and NPR, they don't even account for half of Pandora's active listeners. Essentially, once you pick an app, you stay on that app. You're not, it's, it's pretty, you're not going to end up growing and to get into, I mean, you have two and a half active million plus another two active million on Pandora. You're already at four and a half million users on, on that particular day. Well, it's the same virtuous cycle that we talked about earlier with video. If you're in the Spotify app and you finish a song or a podcast or a playlist or a whatever, there is more content there in the Spotify app and their library is so large, you can imagine very easily you, your eye, your ear can be tempted to move on to the next piece of content. In Pandora, similar, their library is very large and their algorithm is pretty good. If you are a user of Pandora, you've gotten very into the idea of thumbing up, thumbing down, and just continuing to take in the things that they serve you. Um, that works pretty well. The fact of the matter is, with iHeartRadio, first of all, why would I go there in the first place? Me, as a person who listens to lots of things in lots of places, why would I search out the iHeartRadio app to begin with? For me personally, the last reason that I tried, I uh, I thought about using it for the, I downloaded it again the other day, well, not the other day, it's been a few weeks now, but for the Ron Burgundy show. Then, hmm. even before I used it, I said, well, wait, let me see. Is Ron Burgundy available in my app? And I went into Overcast and searched, and sure enough, it was. So I never even went back to the iHeartRadio app. I downloaded it. I never even used it. But let's say that they, they kept their content there. There's something premium that I could only access there. Okay, I go in and I use the iHeartRadio app. But again, as soon as I want to listen to the latest album from you know whoever, Drake or whatever, I want to hear Beyonce's new single, they don't have that, or I can't listen to it on demand anyway. So then I have to go out to Apple Music or Spotify or wherever else I'm listening to audio, and all of those apps have more content for me to listen to, and they're going to be suggesting it. So it's a virtuous cycle. You get, And, and that's why all of these apps want all of the content, right? Spotify right. is buying original premium content. They buy, they're buying these companies and saying, make us exclusive things so that you have a reason to come and try me at all. But then once you're there, I'm going to offer you the latest Ben Folds album, and I'm going to offer you this new podcast, and I'm going to offer you that podcast that you've already been listening to somewhere else. Hey, you can stay right here in Spotify and listen to that too. Yeah. Spotify wants to be the place for audio, which is why I know you're sort of bullish on Apple sort of splitting everything out. Like they're going to have an exclusive podcast app and a music app that may not be in Apple's best interest. It might be better for them to keep all of their audio in one specific place. Furthermore, Spotify uh, released their earnings. We talked about their earnings, I think, a couple weeks ago, and there was more information that came out. Rain News had this interview with Daniel Ek, the CEO, and Barry McCarthy, and it came from their earnings call, uh, where they take a little bit of a swipe at Apple. Uh, but mention that they're going to revolutionize the way podcasts are making money from advertising. And I'm encouraged because I've said this all along. It looks like Spotify is getting ready to plant the money tree that I've talked about. 
but I'm also discouraged because they're not revolutionizing anything. Like it, it already exists. It's not anything new. So it's, I'm torn both ways, but ultimately if you want to read the interview, it's there in our show notes. Uh, I wouldn't say there's anything more fascinating than that other than I'm, you know, Joel got to plant his flag on Apple, uh, splitting out the Apple podcast app. I wanted to plant my flag on Spotify, creating the money tree. And there you go. So the interesting thing to me, Jay, Spotify is a media host too, right? Through Anchor. And you imagine they're not going to yes. shut that down anytime soon. I'm imagining they're going to add into that and and give you more incentives to host with them through their application, no matter what kind of content creator you are in the future. My question is, are they going to make their advertising options and their monetization features available outside of the Spotify app. If I host my content through Anchor mm. or whatever they eventually call that as they roll that brand into their own, but if I host my content with Spotify, will I have to say this is a Spotify exclusive to access their monetization and their sales force as they've made it clear here? You know, that's what they're offering me, the the average producer. They're saying, you don't have a sales force. We do. We're going to be selling all of this great content and the demographic, you know, uh, insertion that you want. That all works great in their own app. Spreaker offers me that today across the podcasting platform we just talked about. If you listen to me on Spreaker, if you listen to me in the Apple Podcast app, if you listen to us on uh, you know, uh, the Overcast app, if you listen to us in Spotify, there will be an ad in the middle probably, and we'll get that ad money. Well, can Spotify offer me that too? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. Will well, they offer yeah. it? Will it be in their, will it be in their interest? And, and, and like, okay, the other thing is, they have to get to profitability, <laughs> right? right? Like they're closing in sort of, they're, they're, they're approaching it. And we, we saw, we, we never imagined that Netflix would work on the scale that they tried to work. And then look at their very sustainable business. Now it's clear. Amazon, we talked about Amazon running it at basically no profit for years and years and years. And then they turn the profit switch and it works. It turns out the Walmart model is fine. If you sell all the groceries in the world, you can make money, even if you sell them very cheaply. Um, Spotify, will that be the thing for them? Will they see mm, our monetization will work better if we don't lock it down to our ecosystem. You know, like, I, I don't know. What do you, th what is your thought on that? Well, again, it comes down to, if I've got a podcast that's got 200 listens and I'm making about 30 bucks a month, <clears throat> uh, that may not be that enticing to a place anywhere really. But if I'm Spotify and I've got a hundred thousand of those types of podcasts and I'm taking a split of that money, that 30 bucks a month for them actually turns into, you know, $3 million a month. And now that's a little bit more of an enticing number. So it's all about massive scale. If Spotify gets the scale and then they can offer the money that exists today to podcasters. And a lot of it will come down to educating the content creators to let them understand, yes, you have a valuable product. Yes, you have a valuable audience, but the money that exists for that particular audience and your particular type of content is this. And it's not going to be a number 
many of them are probably going to be thrilled with. They're like, well, what about that show that's got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars? And and that show's 300 times larger than your show. So you got to... It's all a matter of perspective, which is why we started this podcast. We wanted to provide the right perspective, give you the right comprehension to these stories that come out so that you can better understand what actually exists in today's world. Uh, Jay, I just saw a new story and we don't have time to talk about it this week because uh, we're already long and we want to talk about Avengers. But here's a tease for you for next week. There's a new startup called Pod Fund. Oh yeah, I, I was to reading invest that. Invest <laughs> in your show for part of your annual revenue. It is a, a fascinating idea. It is something that that I have speculated about in the past. We, could we run podcasts like startups? Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. Show you how to uh, get all of this VC money yourself uh, with Pod Fund. Uh, mm, I, hey, I. Mm. Yeah. I am for Robin Hood, man. <laughs> take take that money from from those rich VCs and give it to us podcasters. <laughs> That's what Spotify's doing, just in an indirect way, right? Well, and and Luminary too, right? Think about it. There's probably got there are probably people that have signed up with Luminary that got paid to be Luminary, and Luminary doesn't get back what they paid and they end up asking that content creator to leave the app or they just don't renew the next contract there. I have no problem with them having taken luminaries money. Like get that money, man. Well, it's, like, it's I, funny. This, this sounds exactly like something I think Todd Cochran has said in the past, you know, like he's, he, we hear that Gimlet gets bought for $240 million or $270 million or whatever. And he goes, man, do you know how many podcasters you could 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 make create amazing content for the next five years with two hundred seventy million dollars if you divided it up? You know, you could hundreds and hundreds of of podcasters that you could cre- create amazing new shows and and pay all of their expenses for years to come with two hundred seventy million dollars. This is effectively that idea. Let's see how it goes. We'll talk about it in depth <laughs> next week. Um, Jay. Uh, before we get to the the post credits here, so to speak, uh, and talk about Avengers Endgame, where can everybody find you if they uh, want to look you up on Twitter or, or access your services? I am at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Pod Vader page. If you'd like to talk to me more about some of the things that we've talked about here, because I can certainly help you. Uh, whether you're large, small, medium, blue, yellow, polka dot, I'm available to help you with your podcasting solutions. Uh, you can find me at propodcastingservices.com or on Twitter at The Rogue's Life. Uh, you're going to get a lot more than just podcasting if you follow me on Twitter. Uh, but you can find all of our shows and uh, blog posts. As a matter of fact, uh, on propodcastingservices.com slash The Rogue's Life, which is my uh, my blog there, I've written for the first time in like three years. I've started writing a series of blog posts about my MCU rewatch. Now that I've seen Endgame, I'm going back and I've started watching all of the the uh, films again. I'm all the way up to the the next post will be about uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. So I've I've watched five of them so far. Um, anyway, that's all there. And now we're going to talk about Avengers. So if you haven't seen Avengers: Endgame, or if you're not interested in that kind of thing, bye. We'll see you next week. <laughs> all right. Uh, spoilers abound here, so uh, no, no, uh, no, takesy backsies. No, don't get mad at us if you haven't uh, seen the movie and you you get offended because you hear something. Um, Jay, first of all, just off the top, 
were you satisfied? Did, did you like it? Yes. Overall, I was satisfied. I am, um, you know, having been a comic book, re- there were, there, there's things that I could nitpick and I will, cause that's what I do. Um, but overall it was, it was a fun, it was a fun movie. It was an entertaining movie. Uh, did it have to be three hours? How long was the previous movie? Mm, actually, I've got them all on my iPad. Just a second, and I will tell you. Uh, let's see. Avengers Infinity War was two hours and 30 minutes long. All right. Uh, and, th- and th- look, they've all been pretty long. Uh, Avengers Ultron was two hours, 21 minutes. The first Avengers was um, two hours, 23 minutes. So this is not like a huge jump. Even Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is two hours sixteen. I I hear your I hear your thinking there. I think it's possible that they could have tightened it up a little bit. I just feel like with a movie that so clearly, I mean, even this this film I think can be enjoyable for somebody if you haven't seen them all before. If you haven't seen Infinity War, I don't imagine the whole first hour makes sense. Like, why is everybody sad, right? If you haven't seen at least Infinity War. Well, but if not see now you've just explained something to me because one of the things I was going to suggest is the first scene with Thanos, uh, where they where they show up. They're like, dude, we can't believe you did this. Give us the stones. I destroyed the stones. And Thor goes, always shoot for the head. <laughs> like, I felt like that scene you could have put at the end of Infinity War. And you could have started this movie the exact same way. Hawkeye's family disappears. So you get an idea of, oh, everybody's gone again. Then you can go to Steve Rogers in the, you know, <laughs> in, in the comfort group saying, you just got to move on. Um, like, that scene could have been moved to the other movie, but uh, now that you said that, that scene makes sense if you haven't seen Infinity War, but why would you go see this one? <laughs> yeah. The, the, it gives it gives a little bit more of a callback to the previous movie, but... So it's an impossible, that was the number one thing. That's the number one thing that I said last year after we saw Infinity War was like, I can't believe they did it. It was successful. It was a movie. It makes sense. It flows as a thing. And yet it's also this, this unbelievable, like quilt being built in midair at the same, like the metaphors fall apart, but no one, literally no one has ever done this before taking so many different franchises, so many different films, so many different characters and storylines, and then paying them all off effectively. Like there are so many things in the common. If you, I can't wait to be able to watch them back to back at home, right? As like a six hour thing. Uh, and I don't believe that there's going to be like an extended cut. I think the Russos put exactly what they, there wasn't an extended cut for Infinity War, right? Like they put what they right. wanted on screen. I think that'll be true for this too. But still, when you watch them together, it's going to be almost six hours. It'll be like doing the Lord of the Rings or something. But the, I think they're going to play even better back to back like that because it is so clear that they were conceived in that way. Well, they were um, all filmed. They filmed them at the same time. They yeah. And, well, and, and at the same time, I think they clearly like, but, but it's to, it's obvious to me that now the Russos in particular and these writers, Marcus and McFeely have been moving towards this for years. There are things hmm. 
that it's clear in even I mean maybe not in the first Avenger necessarily, but like as they went, once they got to Winter Soldier and Civil War, they were already uh, contracted for these movies at that point. When they did Civil War, they were contracted for these, and I think along that way. They were calling their shot and they were leaving little breadcrumbs for themselves in the future. And as someone who, like I read that Infinity War, that that giant issue, you know, when it first launched and it starts with Thanos standing on the mountain and Mephisto standing beside him. And there's the giant, he's built God out of, out of words in, in a mountain in front of him, you know, like they did it. Jay, they put all of that on screen, man. So the fact that they did it and it made sense and like my wife sat through it and like she doesn't love she doesn't gush over it like I did, but we came out and she was like, "Yeah, that was really enjoyable. I liked lots of that. That was awesome. You know, fun times." That is such a testament to the craft and production all yeah. on its own. So like any individual story nitpick, I feel like has to go after that. It's a tremendous accomplishment. And, and the real question is, will anything they do after this be able to live up to it? No. It's, <laughs> think about it. Every every television show that does this runs in the same problem, right? It's you've already beaten the ultimate baddie. Who could be worse than that? Like what could be worse than that? Buffy ran into this. So Buffy beats the head vampire. Then she ends up defeating death. And then they sort of faltered. They're like, well, we don't really have anything to go to. But the ultimate baddie comes. The first vampire comes back. Uh, okay. Right. So it's like you end up running out of space. Like when you've, when you've saved the world, when you've saved the city, and then you've saved the country, and then you've saved the world, and then you've saved the universe. What do you save after the universe? There's, it's, there's not much left after that. So... It, you know, it's one of those things when you get to that final battle and all of the bad guys are coming out of the sky and they're you're like, they already beat these guys once. I mean, it's not going to be that difficult to beat them again. It's, oh, it's so no. So literally. So in that moment, I'm thinking, well, first of all. Uh, when that first happens, it's just Cap all by himself, basically left on the battle. Like everybody else is wiped out in some way, and it's it's Cap alone with a broken arm. By the way, right. he stands up when he, oh my god when he tightened the 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 shield up to splint his arm. I was like, it's, oh, that's such a great moment in the film. And the imagery there is really beautiful too. The cinematography of that final battle was beautiful, even though it's like. If you describe it, well, what does it look like, Joel? It's like, well, it's a gray battlefield. It's a big gray battlefield <laughs> right. in a crumbling Avengers building. It's a video but game. it's more than that. It's when got you're playing Mortal Kombat. That's that's the battle. Yeah, yeah. But it's really it's really more than that. It's got textures and layers that that are pretty impressive. But the at the beginning of that moment, I thought they painted themselves into such a corner. It was a lot like actually the Battle of Winterfell. Uh, and uh, spoilers here, I suppose. But when when the when the whites are all raised again, you know, you yeah, get yeah. halfway through the battle or three quarters yep. through the battle, and everybody's raised again, and you're like, "What?" Like it's that level in the in the video game where you're like, "Well, I must be at the kill screen, right?" Um, I I literally thought like, "So how are they going to get out of this one?" And I had not made the logical leap for whatever reason that there was another snap coming. 
I don't I don't know why I hadn't I mean I knew the gauntlet was still on the field. I knew it was there, but I had not ever once considered that that's the way we finish Thanos off is we're going to snap him out of existence. And uh, apparently by the way in the production they didn't have like a line for Robert Downey Jr. He just took it. You realize the moment like Thanos tried to snap, he didn't, and then he and then Iron Man does, and that was the end. And they tried like a dozen, they were like, No, he's gotta have a quip, but they tried a bunch of things and couldn't get anything to work. I feel like I am Iron Man was the only like yeah. I can't imagine that they ever thought about anything. I can't imagine that that wasn't planned from the very beginning. The the symbolism of him starting the universe that way, finishing Iron Man by saying, and as somebody who just saw it again, it's such a good moment, man. You think this movie is going to go one way. He's standing up there, he's reading the cards. It's clear that he wants to take the victory lap, but at the same time, like the hero, the hero has a secret identity, right? Like every right. superhero movie we've ever seen, the hero has a secret identity. Surely that's going to be the tension in the second one is can Pepper keep the secret and how will their secret life work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But no, he just flushes all that down the toilet as they start the credits. I am Iron Man. And, you know, and nail it and go to credits. And for two years, two years, Jay, we sat and went, what happens next? Because... There wasn't, and that's the other thing that I'd forgotten in retrospect is there wasn't a film. So there were two in 2008, uh, Iron Man and Incredible Hulk. But then we didn't see another one until 2010 where we got Iron Man 2. They rushed that out. And then we got two in 2011, um, uh, First Avenger and Thor. Both came out in 2011. Anyway, to be able to close that out, with him saying, I am Iron Man, and then snapping, especially knowing that it was going to kill him. Like, we knew, like, maybe there would be some way they'd bring him back in the end, but you knew it was going to be irreparable damage of some sort to Tony because we had seen what it had done to Hulk. So, a couple things about that. First, my son, who's 15 years old and has seen most of the movie. I think he's, well, he's seen them all. Um, <laughs> I, I think he says this mostly joking, but he's like, how come when Hulk snaps his finger another half of the universe doesn't disappear. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, dude. You clearly understood that it it was a metaphor. This is what drove me crazy. The snap of the fingers was a metaphor that Thanos said. He basically said, and once I get this, I can snap my fingers and half the universe will disappear. The actual snap doesn't have to happen. Like, it's just a physicality of that particular metaphor that they continued to go forward with i don't know why they didn't have to i think it's i think it's simple I, th I think the concept of when you have the glove you have like the power of a god basically and you can do anything is hard for people to conceptualize if you tell them there's a switch that you flip yeah. and when you flip the switch you can do anything whatever you want to do. And then they've set up very specifically, we're going to bring all the people back, but nothing else. We're not going to change anything except bring the people back. They'd said that a bunch of times. So, so to do something like to just have him make a fist and will it, people wouldn't have understand that something have, you know, normal Joe and Jane wouldn't have understood that something happened. I think you had to keep with the snap. And also there's imagery, right? That you, you undo it with a snap as well. I think, which by the way, I snap with my, with my index finger, not my middle finger. And every oh. time I watch them do it on film, I'm like, I'm a weirdo. I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing was the first time Thanos snapped, nothing bad happened to him. 
He didn't have any damage to him. I don't think that that's true because if you went in, well, the, you just rewatched it. <laughs> well, so I haven't actually seen Infinity War again yet. I've seen. Oh, I mean, I've seen it a few times, but I haven't seen it like this week or anything. But at the end of Infinity War, I'm 99% certain if you go back and look, the scene where he retires there and he ends up on the the um, the the planet with the in the garden or whatever. As he's as he's walking to his shed, he's dragging his hand across like the grains or the almost the ground, the hand with the gauntlet. And I'm pretty sure it is like not smoking, but it is like clear that it's been damaged. The gauntlet itself has been damaged. And in the very final frame, I think that we see not him, but we see his armor on the scarecrow. The gauntlet is on the scarecrow as well. And it is definitely cracked in that. Again, I don't think he's like, injured like he is in this film when we see right. him he the second snap i think is what injured him but i think there was i think it was painful to him even in the beginning and i think it did damage to the gauntlet itself as well now how he could then snap it again well and okay why did it take him like a month to snap it the second time in the first place i think it was literally he needed some time to heal i think he needed to recuperate strength well, I think he also took the time to think about what he did mm. and then came to the realization that he needed to do something more. Like what he did didn't ultimately accomplish his goal. Um, I think he mentions that, which is why he why he snaps his fingers again. Uh, so so I, I just had a problem with all of a sudden we're snapping our fingers and damage is being done to our bodies. And I'm like, that didn't happen the first time he snapped, but okay, fine. You've established it and you did it so that you could have a hero moment with Tony Stark at the end. Okay, that's fine. By the way, it's a superhero movie. Half the superheroes died before, people. If you believe Tony Stark is dead... I've got a comic book company to sell you. Well, so there's, but there's contract <laughs> things that come into that too. We know how much he costs, and we imagine right. at some point Disney is not going to want to pay it, uh, and and or at least they're not going to want to pay it as often as much, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what I imagine for him specifically. I think it's very likely that we eventually get an AI construct version of Tony. That is so like he's the new vision basically as a hologram, just like we saw him at the end, except he's from the computer. So it's not just recording. It's 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 like literally a Tony personality in the computer. Uh, and in the comics, we've even seen that run an Iron Man suit before. So it's literally like the suit standing there with a hologram head. I think right. that's totally possible. Um, and you could have that in a reduced role. He can't be the center of the team as a hologram like that, right? But you could have him as a mentor figure to some of the younger Avengers. You could have him come in and, and play like a an assistant role at different times. You could maintain that character, throw Robert Downey Jr. a big fat check from occasion to occasion. Heck, that's the kind of thing that like you could imagine – Again, if it's just his head, <laughs> basically a floating head, it's the kind of thing that he could do like in his pajamas from his house. They set up the right studio. <laughs> right. So you can get him on the cheap at that point. It's like <laughs> put him in the TV show, right? Like make a Young Avengers TV show and Robert Downey Jr. is their Jarvis, you know? Right, right. Uh, so I think it opens up lots of possibilities. I don't think, though, that we get a reborn Tony Stark. I'll say in robert downey jr's lifetime i think that Ooh. either i think that either when he retires i think it's possible that they do like let's pull young tony stark from the past mm 
and they've bought his likeness. I, that's the other thing. I think that Disney buys Robert Downey Jr.'s likeness in perpetuity eventually so that we can continue to use him in different ways in this uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I think that it's possible down the road they do like they've done in the comics and they bring him from the past so we get 20-year-old Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony Stark for another 20 or 30 years. But that's all CGI, I think, again, after he's dead, maybe. Could be or, a different actor. Yeah, that's the other thing. Or if he if they waited until he passed, so we're talking about we're talking 30, 40 years down the road or something, I think you could do, hey, we reboot the universe and we're gonna do an ultimate Marvel cinematic universe and you get a new actor. And and in that case, maybe it's a whole new reboot. But or I, you bring back a younger actor. You bring back I younger version possible. Tony Stark and see they've it's already cheaper they've to already bring a lookalike him. in. But they've they've already Yeah, you're right, it's cheaper. But we've done this continuity so long. And the way that they did this, the way that they introduced time travel, the way that they've introduced like the aging cap, et cetera, et cetera, I think it's all very specifically meant to say no matter what comes next, it's all part of the same thing. I think they want to be like Star Trek where you've got 30 years of canon. And they don't want to be like Star Trek with J.J. where you go, oh, yeah, all that counts, but not really. Right. I don't think they want to do that. I think um, at least for a generation, we're going to stay on this timeline. Well, and that's and, and that's the thing. That's what they do in comic books all the time. Yeah. That's how they reboot each different line. Like DC does it with Elseworlds. Uh, you know, Marvel has rebooted a couple of times since I've even read them. I mean – if you remember, Captain America was the leader of the Avengers forever. This Iron Man being the leader of the Avengers was only a new, newly done construct, you know, with the movies. Like, Iron Man was just a player in the Avengers. Captain America was the definitive leader. And then they created the thing in the really, as much as they did in the comic books. Anyway. I love, I'm all in on Drunk Fat Thor. He is now my new favorite superhero of all time. Drunk Fat Thor, I'm all in on it. Where the hell did Gamora go? So so she, so at the end of the movie, so first of all, the, the for people who are a little unclear on the timeline, Gamora that we have known from these films that fell in love with Star-Lord and that partied with the Guardians of the Galaxy, she was killed by Thanos in Infinity War to get the Soul Stone. That Gamora did not come back and cannot come back, according to the right. filmmakers. However, because of the events of Endgame, they pulled Gamora from the past, from like 2014, before the events of Infinity War. They pulled her into the modern day, and she still turned against Thanos, uh, uh, helped the good guys in the end, and after the battle was won, bugged out. She disappeared, is my understanding. And it would make sense if you think about it because she she doesn't really know that Nebula that she was dealing with. Like, she, she knows who Nebula is. She has a relationship with Nebula. But she and Nebula were not... Th that Gamora that existed, she had not had those four years of interaction with Nebula to become friends in some way. Uh, she had not had those, you know, defining moments. Um, she also had no relationship with the rest of the Guardians. She'd literally never met any of those people. So why would she hang around with them? Her father, who was literally the driving force of her life, was now dead and and not just dead, but snapped out of existence. Like, I, I can imagine, like, I got a lot of stuff to figure out 
if I'm Gamora. So that's where she went. She bugged out into space. And you imagine the next Guardians film will deal largely with trying to find her and reunite with the team, trying to bring mm. the, them back together. Um, the interesting thing to me is, which happens first? Do we give, uh, Taika Waititi, who was the director behind Thor Ragnarok, and very influential in the character of Thor as displayed in this film. The Russos were originally... They had a very different take on Thor's response to Infinity War and to the events of Ragnarok. And uh, Taika Waititi basically told them, don't screw with what I've done with Thor. Thor like, I've moved Thor in a new interesting direction. People love it. Don't just take him back to droll and, and Shakespearean. And so th through that discussion, apparently this idea came out. Now, I've seen some very thoughtful very reasonable negative response to the story of Thor in this one, that it was played for laughs and that he was the butt of too many jokes, et cetera, et cetera, that the grief and depression that he's displaying were not um, dealt with respectfully. I, as, no. a, as a heavy guy who has dealt with grief and depression myself, I disagree with those takes on it. I think it's reasonable to feel that way. I feel like the people who directly make fun of Thor in this film are jerks and they make fun of people constantly for a variety of reasons and are rocket raccoon in particular rocket raccoon is his is broken in his own way and his defensive mechanism is always this like sarcastic caustic humor so the fact that he applies that to thor is not surprising uh war machine in particular makes a couple of other pretty bad cracks but that's Rhodey's manner too and he does it with everyone else it's his defense mechanism and his way of showing you know love i'm bringing you into the fold by this I got a I got a mean cousin, right? I got a cousin that pokes me in my jelly belly. That's not nice, but it's his way of showing love. The fact that yeah, anyway, that's complicated and I feel like this movie shows complicated families in that way through these broken people that come together to save the world. Well, I that's loved the thing, right? That he the didn't lose the weight when he comes into his power at the end, he's holding Mjolnir and uh, uh, Stormbreaker and he's filled with electricity. He is clearly the God of Thunder, fully charged up at the height of his abilities and he still keeps the weight, right? Yeah. Like I love that they don't transform him back into into thin Thor. He, he, he is still worthy even though he sits in his grief and depression. He is still a valued member of the team even though he can't process what happened to his people or, or his own shortcomings of being unable to overcome Thanos. I just, I thought it was wonderful. And by the way, how many fat superheroes are we ever going to get to see Never. Not None. that many. I'll take them where we can get them, Jay. I'll draw, take them where we can get them. They don't draw fat superheroes. No. <laughs> Mr. Incredible, that's about it. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> but he's computer rendered. He's not even drawn. <laughs> well, and I don't have the I don't have the the uh the girdle to get that <laughs> chest thing going that he's got. He sucks it all up into his chest somehow. I don't I can't do that. Um anyway. I loved I yeah. you're I'm with you. I love the character of Thor and I like the so my question is uh, Taika Waititi has pitched a Thor 4. Um you would assume that that would include the Guardians in his storyline based on where this film ends. I wonder if we get that first 
and then also get a true Guardians of the Galaxy 3 from James Gunn at a later date. So, like, maybe we have these initial adventures and Gamora is sort of kept in the background where we focus on Thor and, and oh, okay, it's time to introduce Beta Ray Bill, for instance. I'm ready for a horse face that carries the hammer, right? Like, <laughs> I want... I want Beta Ray Bill. That's a weird character from the Thor stories that we haven't seen yet. We've seen hints. It's time. They're doing crazy stuff in those movies. I want that in well, Thor 4. Speaking of hints, it was nice to see, you know, Captain America, I think in the first Avengers movie, picked up Thor's hammer. And Thor was like, what? And and here it pays off. Like, he ends up using Thor's hammer. And then when, when he's got Stormbreaker and Thor's got Milner, they swap because you get the small one. I mean, that's perfect. That's perfect Thor. Ah, oh, how can you not, how can you have anything against how, what they did with Thor? Thor was perfect. Um, the, well, wait one, but, one second so, on that point, the, the, the captain America picking up the hammer thing was in uh, age of Ultron, uh, by the way, that was, they're all trying to pick Thor's got a bet. Nobody's worthy except me. Everybody tries to pick up the hammer. The thing there though, there's a beautiful theory online that I've seen that the reason why cap couldn't actually pick it up, he sort of budges it, but he can't really pick it up because at that time he was still holding the secret. He knew that Bucky was responsible for Tony's de uh, parents' death. And he hadn't told him. He hadn't come clean. So he had this like stain on his on his heart, so to speak. He wasn't worthy yet. And now that that's been cleared, and he and Tony have repaired their relationship at this point, he was fully worthy. Gets the full power of Thor. Lights up. Shoots that dude with lightning. The whole nine yards. I loved it. it was awesome. Loved it. Uh, what I'm disappointed in is in the comic books, Adam Warlock is a character who plays a huge part in the Infinity Gauntlet saga. And we did get a glimpse of Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. But he does not show up here. I get why they didn't. They give the hero moment to the heroes that we've been introduced to and been talking about this entire time. But at the same time, when is Adam Warlock going to come into play here? Like, he's been introduced. I would assume we're going to see some Adam Warlock here in the future. Or maybe we're not. Maybe it was just a throwaway scene that that will never get paid off. So my hope is that that comes with the next Guardians movie and that I, first of all, I th you, we talked about at the very beginning of this, like how, how do they top this, right? The first way I think that you move on is you go back to smaller stories for a while. You, you go back to intimate stories. How do these characters respond in a world that's like this? With, well, that's with what Spider-Man's going to do. Yes, exactly. And I hope, I hope we get a bunch like that. Half the people in the world are five years ahead of the rest of the half, you know, the other half, uh, uh, complicated like what about marriages right that's something that i've seen brought up online what happens if you were married your spouse goes away you get over it you find somebody new you get married and then suddenly your spouse shows back up what about people that were in an airplane when they got snapped away the airplane has crashed jay when they're snapped back into existence they all came at the exact same place do they fall out of the sky where like mm. do we get an agents of shield episode where superheroes are just running around catching everybody i mean i want some follow-up to all of that but in two or three years, and we don't have to do it right away, but over the next two or three years, I would like to see teased and hinted at the next big bad. There's lots of ways to go. There are so many cosmic entities in the Marvel Universe. Galactus has been I was about to. I was about to say, they now own the Fantastic Four outright. They're, it's not owned by Fox anymore. Well, it's still owned by Fox, but now Marvel owns Fox. Right. So, well, Disney technically, but... 
they could totally do this with Galactus. And the thing with Galactus that I've I've heard several people point out is unlike Thanos, you can't just kill him. Galactus is part of the universe. He's integral in the ongoing machinations of the cosmic ecosystem. So if he comes to Earth and says, I want to eat Earth, <laughs> you're going to have to figure out a way around that other than snapping him out of existence or blasting him out of the sky. And I think that would be really interesting to build towards again, not now, but like five, six years down the road, build up to an actual confrontation with Galactus. Like we got to introduce the Silver Surfer before that happens, for instance. We need to introduce the Fantastic Four before that happens, for instance, et cetera, et cetera. So we got a long way to get to, uh, to, to before we get to there. But I would like to see another. I want to see another long-term crossover like this i want to see another long-term plan maybe it doesn't take 10 years to get there but maybe maybe you build up to it for another 10 years and we only get these sort of giant crossover films you know once a generation and i know that they made these before they acquired the rights back but it would have been nice like the whole thought of uh ant-man's you know the the, the negative verse or whatever it's called i mean that's all reed richards like that's totally Reed Richards and it would have been it would have been kind of cool to introduce him there and then of course you talk about that scene where all the heroes are coming back with you know the Doctor Strange portals and they're all coming in how cool would it have been to see the X-Men Fantastic Four some of these other superheroes that they now own the rights to I would have they loved could to have seen digitally the inserted them Right. Like I would have loved to have seen the Netflix characters like Luke Cage and Daredevil mm. swinging around, you know, busting heads on on the battlefield somewhere. The argument is we don't have time to introduce them or explain them to people that are watching this movie. And therefore, like there's we, yeah. we don't you know, we don't yeah. want to waste the time on sidelined on new characters. And and I, I think there's something to that. Here's the other thing, too. I know now that the X-Men and the Fantastic Four belong back to Disney and Marvel, that we're going to get those stories told in the right way. We're we're going to see very satisfying adaptations. The Dark Phoenix confident. movie coming is, the trailers I've seen have made me so angry. It's not even- Me too. Well, <laughs> I'm sort of, I'm sort of appalled that Disney is going to continue to release it in theaters. Honestly, I'm, I guess like- They have to some pay point, for it. <laughs> well, and I, I guess at some point you owe it to the actors too, right? Like those actors have played those roles for a long time. And the fact that that franchise is not perfect doesn't diminish what they have done as well. They should be able to take a victory lap, I guess. But like, I just, I love the X-Men so much. I really love the Fantastic Four too. So I'm so hopeful for that. And I know it's coming. I didn't mind let's really pay off these characters. That's the other thing, Jay, about like the loss of Captain America and Iron Man. I don't think we're going to miss them in two or three years, honestly, even if they, they're, those characters aren't used at all because they've got so much IP to roll out to us. Oh, so yeah. many wonder Reed Richards is such a full featured character. If you, if you can get an actor who would be willing to play him for 10 or 15 years, like, like Robert Downey Jr. That can grow into the role and that can show us all the facets, the genius and, and the kindness, but also the evil machinations that Richards is possible of. Like, Oh man, like that character could be so much over the over the next decade. So I am super hopeful and, about where they're going. And to find the Susan to Reed Richards, like the perfect 
person to sort of reel him in and give him humanity. You know, I mean, uh, Amelia Clark has been playing a blonde for quite a while, <laughs> and uh, I hear she's out of a job these days. Uh, I mean, I, like, I, I think she'd make a pretty good Sue. Um, I mean, there are a lot of them, honest. And the other thing is, like, where are you going to make the ages? Like, where? how are you going to introduce them? I, I was talking to my son about this the other day. I think it would be really cool with the Fantastic Four if you did some sort of, and I'm not, this is not an original thought. I can't remember where I heard this first, but if you did some sort of, like, uh, time stream story now that that's been introduced where you start with them in the 60s and they're fighting like a giant kaiju monster or something you know over the over New York City and just as they beat it they're also sucked into some sort of portal dimensional realm whatever when they come out of it they're in modern day New York and no one knows who they are or that they ever existed no one's ever heard of the Fantastic Four nobody remembers that they used to be the world's greatest superhero team and the first film is really about what happened and why aren't we remembered and and like how did time get changed and what are we going to do about it now etc cetera, etc cetera. i think it would be interesting if you could make some sort of nod to the fact that historically the fantastic four is at the center of the marvel universe and they can't be in the marvel cinematic universe because of the way that it was built it would be great if there would be some way to sort of acknowledge that last thing because Wow, yeah. I really got to get going. Yeah. And this could be a podcast all of its own. I know, right? It's almost like we like Marvel. <laughs> but that I'd heard Stan Lee had recorded, you know, a whole bunch of cameos that they could use for decades, but that this was the last Stan Lee cameo in existence. One, I hope that's not true. I mean, even a digitally put in Stan Lee just as he doesn't even have to have a speaking part, just throw me a Stanley Easter egg. Like he's just standing in the background somewhere. I'm sure there's plenty of footage that they could make that happen. Like Stanley needs to be an Easter egg in every single Marvel movie. It just has to be done. Do it. Just do it. So uh, a few years back, he had had a health scare and he was out of the hospital, was doing better. And they scheduled with James Gunn, as my understanding, uh, I think he was doing the second Guardians film. They scheduled a series of shoots all at once with Stan and they got all of the cameos that we've seen thus far. The final one, it's my understanding, to be released was the Infinity War cameo or excuse me, the the endgame cameo. Um it's also, though, my understanding that either at that time or the previous time that he had been brought in to film, they did do full 3D scans of his face and I think his body as well. So there is the possibility in the future that we could see a fully CG stand. I think it is likely that they might retire the cameo for a while, mm, sort of in sweet. honor. I honestly, I think... I think there's I think there's something to be said for that of of letting it lie. Like he had a great run to do this. We've we've honored him in a way that is like pretty special. I wish though I, if they're going to do anything, I would love to see. Okay, so they're going to do the What If TV series, the animated What If TV series. Wouldn't it be awesome if it was opened 
with like him as a storyteller, basically. Like, you know, so in the comics, you do that right. with Uatu, right? It's the watcher that tells the what if stories. But I would love it if it was Stan instead. And it great. almost like the the Daffy Duck cartoon where you see the artist like drawing it out. Like, what if he, what if he's sitting in his bullpen and he's sort of talking directly to the camera and turns and begins to draw the story and then you're drawn into whatever the animated episode is? I think, I think that would yeah. be a really cool fitting tribute. And it's the kind of thing you could do, whether you did it CG from his scans or you did it animated either way you could do it from existing footage and existing audio or a you know a slight impersonator or something like that and give a tribute and make him a part of the ongoing product without i mean i don't know i don't want to see him as a marionette you know i get it but you know we've seen star wars do it now in you know a few movies it's it's certainly technology that exists that can be happened and even in spider-man where he, he has his obvious cameo, they placed him in numerous spots in the Spider-Man movie, the most recent one, not the one coming out, although I'm sure he's in it. I'll, I guarantee you he's in it. He better be. Spider-Man is his dude. Uh, but they placed him in places like in the in the subway car. You can see him quickly flash in a in a window. You know, different little places where the, where he ended up. Like, I, there's just... Even something like that, even if it's just a quick, brief, boop, oh, look, I recognize that guy, be totally fine with me and warranted. Make mine Marvel. It's made uh, almost $2 billion now. Excelsior. Is it going to beat Avatar? Is it going to beat Avatar, do you think? Yeah. So Avatar is $2.7 billion worldwide. Didn't they beat it this weekend? <laughs> no. They, so they, they've crossed, they've, they've, uh, they've, they're over $1 billion. It's like one point five after this weekend or 1.7 after this weekend they're they're about 600 million or 700 million away i think the last time i checked from yeah, avatar but but also they're only like 10 days in or 11 days in now instead of 47 which is i think the the total to get over 2 billion for avatar so yeah uh, their pace is good i think it's very likely to beat avatar if you look at you know adjusted for inflation maybe it won't quite um but this is here's what's disappointing to me as a star wars fan is the last Star Wars movie won't come close to this. I don't know, man. I, so they've sat on Star Wars for a while. And then the other thing that they've done is they they have now said after this one, we're not going to get another Star Wars film for a few years, like three years probably at least before the next trilogy starts. So I think that there will be a little bit of uh, more pent-up demand. The other thing is, before this Star Wars film comes out, we're going to have seen some, if not all, of The Mandalorian, the new TV series, mm. which looks amazing. So I'm thinking that maybe, like, I'm thinking maybe Star Wars hype might be way back up by the time we get to December. The other thing to think about is, there's no Marvel after uh, Spider-Man. There's no Marvel I mean, you until think God knows it. when. They, they haven't announced another film, Jay. So after Spider-Man comes out in July, we might not get another Marvel film at all next year. So I think Star Wars is going to be like... I think the geeks are going to be hungry. Mm, I don't know. We'll see. Let's put it this way. This Star Wars geek is trying to temper expectations but is going in with a very low expectation that he's going to be satisfied with this particular movie based on what he saw in the last movie. Mm, fair so, enough. Fair and the enough. first I, one, the force awakens was, I mean that, oh, I mean, that was, that was awesome. And it still holds up. I, unfortunately, see, big... they, unfortunately they tapped into it and they, and they cashed out. See, that's what Disney does. That's what corporations <laughs> do. I shouldn't just say Disney, but they, they take that moment and they monopolize it 
to the point of killing. Yeah, we should do a podcast on this too because I got things to say. I see. I like the Last Jedi, but that's for another show. Uh, we're gonna wrap this one up. Thanks to everybody who stuck around. I hope you enjoyed Avengers Endgame as much as we did. Uh, next week we're gonna talk about, among other things, Pod Fund. We'll talk about how to get your podcast some startup money. Oh, were uh, we talking podcast business? In we this were show? a while oh. ago. I'd rather talk of. Hey, look, if we if I could get paid to talk Marvel all day, I, that's what I need. I need a job with Marvel. All right, I'm gonna go work on that. Jay, until next time, I've been Joel. I'm Jay. <laughs> and we are always listening. Wait, I meant I am Pod Vader. <laughs> Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all of our past episodes, including more than 100 podcast reviews, at alwayslisteningpod.com. In Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. For help on your podcast, visit propodcastingservices.com. Our theme song is Enough from Bethany Rayburn. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.